0: The markets we just can't get enough of them markets are the drivers of your wealth and investment strategy welcome to magic markets with your co-hosts the finance Coast and mohammed Nallah. together we have more than 25 years of combined experience in the markets in addition to our weekly free show that you know and love we have now launched magic markets premium a weekly show for our subscribers in which we give detailed analysis on global stocks Every premium show is accompanied by a report covering the company's strategic drivers, its operating environment, its competitors,
1: bull versus bear case, technical trading indicators, and a long-term investment
0: thesis. At just 99 rand per month, we are committed to making institutional-level analysis affordable for all investors and traders. Visit magic-markets.com to go premium and unlock your full potential in the markets. This episode of Magic Markets is brought to you by Westbrook Alternative Asset Management, South Africa's leading provider of alternative investment funds and co-investment strategies. With over 8 billion rand in assets under management across South Africa, the UK and the USA, Westbrook provides South African high net worth individuals, wealth managers and institutions with a unique gateway to the world of alternative investments. This includes private debt, hybrid capital, real estate, private equity and venture capital. Visit westbrook.co.za to find out more. Westbrook Alternative Asset Management is an authorised financial services provider, FSP number 46750. Before we start this fantastic episode of Magic Markets, I do need to tell you that the contents of this podcast are for information purposes only and they do not constitute investment advice, nor do they represent a solicitation of any member of the public to invest in any security. The investment vehicles managed by Westbrook Alternative Asset Management are available to qualified or sophisticated investors only. All listeners should seek professional financial advice prior to making any investment. Welcome to episode 87 of Magic Markets and this week we welcome back the team from Westbrook but it's someone that we haven't met before and neither of you or probably not. And that is Jonathan Loeb, and he is sitting in the U.S., so this is going to be really interesting. That gives you a bit of a clue about what we might be talking about. But before we welcome him to the show, Mo, you're still in Jobig. We got to hang out last week, which was nice. We haven't seen each other in uh, a very long time, other than over you know Zoom and Teams and Riverside and all those good things. But uh, thanks for doing this, as ever, with me, and it was good to see you last week.
1: Yeah, likewise, Ghost. I think it's, uh, it's nice just uh, coming back you know, seeing people, friends, family, uh, and Jonathan, you know, welcome to, to Magic Markets. I think Jonathan, for those who don't know, Jonathan's actually chosen a better locale when it comes to North America. So he's in sunny Florida, whereas I get to to struggle through the Canadian winters uh, and potentially the the odd occasional hot Canadian summer. Uh, but I've traded that for the South African winter this year. So So Jonathan, I hope you're enjoying the sunshine and the beautiful weather that generally people tend to associate with Florida, United States. Yeah, thanks, gents. Thank
2: you for, for having me on the show. Um, it's actually, it's boiling hot right now. I mean, I'm sitting inside in, in an air-conditioned room, but it's uh, well north of, of 30 degrees Celsius um, and and hot. I am enjoying it. Um, a lot of people complain about it, but I'm, I'm enjoying the summer.
0: Sounds fantastic. So. We are here to talk to you today about a pretty interesting asset class. And I must be honest with you, it doesn't sound sexy at first blush. It will be, you know, I think dispelling some of the myths of what people think about in their minds when they hear about a mobile home. Because uh, the first thing people think about is a trailer park and then probably Jerry Springer, and probably some terrible television and maybe some awful things they've seen on Twitter. And I don't think that is the stuff that Westbrook is investing in. So I think a really good place to start would be to maybe understand you know, what these mobile homes are and and is it the same as sort of the typical trailer park? Yeah,
2: so it's, I mean, it's a good question and generally the first one we get. And I must say that the industry, there's a full spectrum of what is a mobile home park. We actually call them manufactured housing parks or manufactured home communities. Um, And it's exactly that. It's It's a home that's manufactured in a factory and then transported to site on, on the back of a truck, but it's then established on-site. Established on-site means connected to services, water, sewer, electric, um, and then oftentimes, sidings are put on it, which, which hides the axle, and it's it's really fastened down on onto site. And as you say, all the full spectrum from Jerry Springer, what, what you saw on television, but all the way up to, to amazing communities where i've seen homes of two hundred and fifty thousand dollars or more um, with beautiful finishes nicer than than any apartment you've recently seen in santon really really like top end finishes and and it's everything in between so that there is the full spectrum we investing not at the top end of that spectrum and certainly not at the bottom end of that spectrum we somewhere in the middle
0: So help me understand something quickly before I let Mo jump in here. And that is, you know, if you're sitting there in the U.S., the decision to live in one of these communities, is it a cost based decision or is there is there something else to it? You know, are these things genuinely mobile? Like, is it relatively easy to pick up your mobile house and move it? You know, I'm just curious what the decision is to live in this sort of environment versus a traditional home.
2: So it is very much part of the affordable housing market in America it's definitely a cost decision that you're making to live in in a mobile home but it's a brilliant one at that so if, if you look at what's available on the affordable end of the spectrum there's very little oftentimes you're in a very cramped apartment you've got people above you people next to you and you could come to a very nice mobile home park for a similar price and have your own backyard your own garden uh, you can drive up to your house, you can have your own space, two bedroom, two bathroom unit, much bigger than than what you would have in an apartment, and oftentimes a much nicer way to live for a similar cost.
0: So if you're thinking of immigrating before you sell your 3 million rand home in Joburg, just, reman- just remember that on the other side, it's a mobile home that's pretty much waiting for you. That's the joys of moving to a developed market. Eh? It's not a joke. Those property prices. <laughs>
2: No, no. So just, I mean, further on that question, um, you did ask, are they mobile? They are really not that mobile. Once you've established a home on site, they very seldom move. If anything, if the tenant would like to move, he would generally sell his home to somebody else who would take over paying the rental. Um, if he owned the house or if the park owns the house, obviously just a new tenant tenant would move in. So there's both what we call park owned homes and, and tenant owned homes. And then completely separately is what Americans refer to as RVs, recreational vehicles. And those you would drive around and those are holiday vehicles which you'd go camping and, and RVing with. That's a completely separate market which we which we're looking at but on the periphery.
1: Yeah, I think that's such an important distinction, right, John? I mean, in fact, the latter that you discussed, the RVs are, are what I think people associate when you say trailer park or, you know, living in a trailer, is, it's it's some sort of caravan that you lug around behind your truck and you then, you know, you, you pitch up somewhere, you hook it up to, to services and so forth. That's not what we're talking about. And that's why I liked the distinction that you made earlier on is you called it manufactured homes. And I think rather than mobile homes, manufactured homes are probably an easier concept to relate to in that is the concept of of, of modular homes. You know, the cost element of why these things are cheap is that they are built in a factory, they are done according to to preconceived specifications, and so as a result, they're able to churn this out in the good old capitalist way that we've come to expect from the United States. This has actually made housing affordable for a lot of people. Now, again, maybe some people were, were rolling their eyes at the big numbers you were discussing where at the upper end of the spectrum, you know, you've got houses in this category, in the manufactured home category at around $250,000. But bear in mind that once these are established, you know, you're comparable in other areas, might be as high as a million dollars or even more than that. So there's a significant market in just in terms of scale. And where I want to go to with this is you indicated that you have these parks or these communities that come up. So this is not about selling the modular homes, this is about the actual parks themselves. So maybe talk to us about those parks. How do those operate? you know, how do they actually establish themselves as communities? Because I think these are subtle nuances that might be lost on the average South African investor who just doesn't understand maybe neighborhood dynamics there, who might not understand in terms of, you know, who do you pay your rates and taxes to? Who do you pay your services and utilities to? These, if I'm looking at this from a property investment perspective, are all very important determinants in terms of contextualizing what my risks are when considering these parks as a whole.
2: Yeah, I know. That's a brilliant point. Mo. So where I was going earlier is, is where I said you have park owned homes and tenant owned homes. So I'll take a step back. Basically, you have a community which is call it a big piece of land. That would be the mobile home park. What we would have as the mobile home park owner, the property owner, are all the infrastructure in place. So, so that would be paved roads, um, connection, water connection, sewer connection, electric connection, and then oftentimes amenities, depending on, on the level of your park, you would have different amenities. Some will have a swimming pool and a tennis court and a clubhouse, others will not. Um, some may just have a picnic area and and some briars or barbecues as, as they refer to them in America. So that would be the, the infrastructure. Then what happens is somebody who owns their own home would bring it to site and start paying us as the landowner a lot rent, a monthly rental for their piece of property, for their lot. We would connect them to water, sewer, and electric, and that water, sewer and electric can be private services whereby they own by us on site, or they can be public services, which is preferable. We, we we much prefer buying parks where they're public services, which means they're paying their rates, taxes, water and lots directly to the city. We have no involvement with that and we only receive a, a monthly lot rental. Sometimes when we bought a park, we've inherited some homes with that park. So to varying degrees. In some instances, 80% of the homes were, were park-owned homes and then we had the, the responsibility of maintaining those homes, paying the water over to the city and collecting it from the tenant. We tend to... Prefer parks where we don't own the homes. So where we do buy parks with park-owned homes, we try and fix them up and then sell them to new tenants or existing tenants who are capable of then paying the lot rent and, and buying that home from us. Then they take over responsibility for maintenance, etc.
1: of that home. John, I think that's that's great. And something I want to actually get to is because if you then say that the guys are paying you the lot rent, maybe this is more of a macro question, but You know, if you're operating in the affordable housing space, the the biggest concern, again, as a South African investor with a South African context, non-payments become an issue. Now, how much of an issue are non-payments? Certainly, when we're going into the kind of economic cycle that we are in right now, I mean, arguably people at the kind of LSM or consumer level that would be staying in one of these communities. Uh, would arguably be hard-pressed. What does that look like through an economic cycle? Certainly because Westbrook has been at this for a long time. So you would have some data here. What does that look like, again, in terms of contextualizing the risk for investors in this space?
2: Yeah, no, again, very valid. So obviously that is your your big risk, is your tenant risk. And, and what that means is obviously selecting the right tenants up front and and managing the park well like these are operational intensive assets so we we are fortunate to have very a very good partner on the ground in america tovia capital Uh, that's the partner we exclusive partners with them and and they are very good at at operating mobile home parks um, and collecting rent Um, so now what's interesting is through the economic cycles we've seen this has not been badly impacted um, when compared to other residential asset classes. Some of the reasons for that, I mean, it's interesting when you look through it, but firstly, it's affordable. And oftentimes what you'll have in an economic downturn is people who are living in possibly nicer accommodation having to move into a mobile home park. Um, and thereby, you've, you've got a, a higher quality tenant coming into the, into the park Um, And you just have no other option. I mean, once you're living in a mobile home park, you really do have to pay your rent. Otherwise, you're out on the street. Like, we obviously are as good as we can be to our tenants. But if there's a very extended period and they're not paying, we, we will have to evict them. And we go through that process. And obviously, in America, it's a very standardized formal process and it does happen it it unfortunately does happen in certain instances and that's where you have to have a very good operator
0: to handle that process so i think going back to the parks you know and again it's just so fascinating because we just don't have this in south africa right like what makes one park more desirable from an investment perspective than another you've touched on some of the points which is you know how is it structured operationally and it sounded like less is more i.e doing less is more which is definitely my viewpoint on property in general the less admin you have the better it's got to be but i mean there must be more to it than that clearly and i'm just curious what are some of the metrics that go into an investment committee decision to you know buy one of these parks
2: sure so obviously as you've said the quality of the the park which starts with the quality of the infrastructure the quality of the homes the quality of the tenants all all come into that decision that's Paved roads, what amenities are there, what are the age of the homes currently on site. If they're park owned homes, then we get into quite significant due diligence on those homes. What is it going to take to maintain them, etc. We have, with with our partners, specialized a little bit in taking assets that are, let's say, not so desirable from an investment perspective and converting them into assets that are investor-desirable. So that means buying parks with park-owned homes, which investors typically don't want because you've got a much more transient tenant base, you have the maintenance of the homes. So we would buy those parks and then over time, as I said, sell those homes or fix, renovate and sell those homes to, to new and existing tenants. Um, so that's part of our, our value add and we turn it into a park that's much more investor friendly. We'll also convert private services to city services by connecting to city water and putting in the capital to, to do those sorts of things. Repaving the roads and creating off-site parking, uh, off-street parking, that, that sort of thing does add value to, to these assets, amenities, etc.
1: So John, just looking at some of the the provisional material that you send through to us, and again, you know, for for our listeners who are listening to this podcast, they'll be able to reach out to yourselves at Westbrook and and, and find this information. But you know, I I'm, I have the the luxury of looking at some of the projects that you guys have done. And it's, it's pretty much spread out across different geographies in the United States. Uh, maybe give us a little bit of flavor around that. You know, which kind of geographies do you exist in? How different are they? Because a lot of people look at the U.S. and they see this as this homogenous entity. We know it's very different, that there are very specific nuances in specific locales. And so what does that actually mean in terms of your approach to investment in this space, as well as from a diversification perspective?
2: So... What's interesting is is obviously each state has their own zoning laws and the zoning gets quite strict around mobile home parks. Again, because of that legacy, what, what we were talking about initially, are these actually trailer parks or are they manufactured housing communities? And even sometimes the town planners have a bad perception of mobile home parks and oftentimes you have very restrictive zoning laws which has been an an amazing thing from an investment perspective, but a terrible thing from a supply of of affordable housing perspective. So you have these laws, literally laws that that dictate that you cannot establish mobile home parks in certain areas called NIMBY laws, not in my backyard. Um, Laws which prevent the establishment of new mobile home parks. So every other... Residential asset class, apartments, single family residences are being built all the time and mobile home parks are simply not. Not that there's zero development, but there's very little development compared to the demand for affordable housing in America. And as I say, that's created limited supply and has been a big factor in our decisions of of where to invest because we're investing where supply is limited, which, which, which is very good from an economic perspective. And even where there where there are existing parks, oftentimes they were initially built on the outskirts of cities and as the cities grow in, that's become desirable land and they've been redeveloped into, call it multifamily or apartments, some other form of of housing community or, or a retail center. And you've got this like limited or in some instances shrinking supply and increasing demand for affordable housing. Which, which, as I say, is very good from an investment perspective. And that often drives where we invest, um, where, where zoning laws are quite restrictive.
0: So Jonathan, moving on to those economics, I mean, this is what I'm really interested to learn about is the numbers, because I'm sure you didn't move to Florida just so you can be chased around by alligators while collecting the rent. So why are you there? What are the returns on these uh, manufactured housing communities, to use the correct term?
2: Sure. Again, it's, it's a spectrum. And, and the, the nicer the park you buy, the lower your returns are. So you have to almost get into the heavy lifting to...
0: With the alligators. That's where the money is. That's right. That's right. So, I mean, what's interesting is, is
2: you have big names having been investing in this space for a very long time. I mean, Warren Buffett owns a company called Clayton Homes which is the largest manufacturer of mobile homes, manufactured houses in in America. He also owns a a business called 21st Mortgage, who are the biggest financier of these homes, and he owns the biggest insurer. You have Sam Zell, who owns the biggest REIT, which owns manufactured housing communities across America on, on the upper end of the spectrum. So, so big names have been in the space a long time. Obviously, more recently, the big private equity groups, Blackstone, Carlisle, have, have entered the space. So there, there is money chasing it, and it's, it's obviously for those returns. Um, we've targeted returns to date of 17% plus total return. And of that, 8 to 12% annually paid out as, as cash flow from, from rental income.
0: I would remind the listeners that's a dollar based return, huh? Yeah, that's right, in dollars. And
1: and just just on those numbers, I mean, are those net of fees or are those before your fees uh, at Westbrook? So those on those are net of fees we've we've to date, I mean, that's our
2: target returns to date, we've actually achieved much more than that. Um, maybe it's it's a bit of luck or a bit of tailwind from from markets. We've done exceptionally well in this space and we still relatively new to the space and relatively small in the space so we it's a space we want to grow in um and and we see we see a big future in
0: in the space i had a look at that uh, reading material that mo referenced earlier and the irrs that you're getting from the turnarounds are extraordinary you know it's that's i i guess that's where you're going in with your partners there and you are literally you know rolling up your sleeves and repainting a house and selling it i mean it's proper grunt work. It's not, the, it's, it's very far from the suits of Santon life that I think you've probably come from, but that's where the real returns are made, isn't it?
2: No, that's right. It's in those park turnarounds because what, what you're getting, I mean, as you can imagine, we, we took over a park, I'll give you an example, in, in Arkansas. Um, and it happened to be a much worse tenant base than we, than we anticipated. And we landed up having to evict 30 something of of 50 park-owned homes, we had to evict the tenants um, and and basically start again, renovate those houses, get in contractors to, to retile, repaint, re-kitchen, um, and then start filling from scratch. And obviously, it's tempting because there's big demand to just fill them up. But when you've done the work to, to get them looking good again, you don't want to just fill them up with anyone, you want the right tenants. And, and that is obviously very, very valuable. Um, as, as I said before, certain investors will only invest in a park with um, tenant-owned homes, a certain percentage or less of park-owned homes, and they'll only invest with the right infrastructure in place. So taking a park that didn't have that and giving it that is where, where these outsized 20-plus, 30-plus percent returns came from.
1: I think I think that's quite critical. And I mean, why we're why we discussing those returns and we're discussing the kind of potential of not just the cash flow, but turnarounds and then monetizing that either through an exit potentially. I mean, you, you mentioned that a lot of institutional money is now starting to enter the space um, that that's twofold in that if they're chasing the same deals on your acquisition, on your in price, your IRRs get compressed. But similarly, it creates activity for you to maybe upsell. Into some of those institutions, and you know, maybe talk to us a little bit about that dynamic because I, I see that just based on what I know of Westbrook and where you guys are operating, I actually see see that as an additional level of alpha that you can add simply because of the scale and the segment of the market that you guys are playing in.
2: No, that's that's very valid. I mean, um, Blackstone was was negotiating a transaction for forty parks at call it five hundred and fifty million dollars in in one transaction. That they just operate at a completely different scale and we run a much smaller business. So we, we're still consolidating and buying parks where we will offload maybe to a fund even much smaller than Blackstone. But that definitely is part of what excites us about space. Uh, the space. The money coming into the space is significant and we're still at a level where there's still a lot of option of parks to buy, smaller parks where we can consolidate a portfolio and then sell it to, to somebody bigger. Um, and and obviously, as I've said, you, you're taking it up the spectrum, increasing the revenues, increasing the NOI, the net operating income of the asset, infilling any vacancies. I, I forgot to mention that, but that's a big part of our value add is bringing in homes where there's vacancies. Oftentimes we've bought from what we call mom and pop sellers who just weren't didn't want the hassle of bringing in new homes and establishing homes on site. They were happy with the income they were getting. So we bought off existing income and changed that income drastically just by filling vacancy at, at the asset. Um, and that's, that's been great. So, so there's obviously that component. And then in addition, if there is what we call cap rate compression, that comes from, from being able to sell the asset at a much higher value of a new net operating income, even better.
1: Jonathan, the last point you raised around, you know, just filling in some of those vacancies, maybe just a, a quick one. What does the current vacancy profile look like? You know, how fully let are the properties when you acquire them? How fully let are they when you're operating them uh, and or selling them?
2: Yeah, so they generally, if there's a home on the site, that home is occupied. So they generally full or very close to full 95% plus occupied if there's a home there. Where we've found vacancies where we've bought parks which have call it hundred lots but only 70 lots have homes on them and the the work to get a new home on site is is quite significant and that's where you'll you'll have some vacancy so we've bought in our portfolio probably around on a weighted average basis 20% vacancy but that's what I call real vacancy It's not a, a home that needs to be occupied it's a, it's a vacant pad that needs to have a home on it.
0: So, Jonathan, while we still got some time, I think it's important for the listeners who by now may think this is very interesting. I mean, (laughs) I certainly do. It's basically getting these residential yields that are, from the sounds of it, a lot higher in dollars than you can achieve in rands down here. I mean, it's really fascinating. What are the sort of nuts and bolts here? I mean, we know from previous episodes with Westbrook, your sort of target investors are very much your higher net worth, your family offices, that kind of thing. I mean, this is not, you know, for someone to sell 10,000 bucks in the easy equities account and shift it to Westbrook. That's not what this is. So maybe you could just walk us through, you know, one, what is the structure of the actual investment? And then two, if someone is interested, what sort of minimums do you look for, et cetera, so that they can reach out accordingly?
2: Sure. So, we actually not raising right now for mobile home parks. What we did was we started off in the strategy by seeding our partner with, with small amounts of money into his first few deals, 2015, 2016. Um, and then we launched a fund quite recently, Call it middle of 2020. Uh, we launched our first fund in the space where we raised $11 million and that we spent 2020 and 2021 deploying that money we spent it on eight eight assets, um, and towards the end of this year we will then raise a second fund and and start deploying that hopefully hopefully a larger fund um, now that we kind of know what we're doing to some degree so um, that's that's the plan from a capital raise perspective the structure the South African investor invests into a share in a British Virgin Isle company, um, a BVR company, and that's to avoid them having to submit tax returns and pay taxes in the U.S. If they were to invest directly in the U.S., it comes with a whole lot of obligations. So so we take care of all of that. We then invest from there into America and get the money back out of America in a relatively tax-efficient way, uh, back to the BVI and then they'd receive their dividend from that as a foreign dividend from the BVI company. And that's that's how we structured it. Um, minimums on the first fund were quite high at $200,000. Um, for existing investors, they were lower, but for new investors, they were quite high. And on the second fund, I'm not sure yet. So they'll probably be lower, but not not too low.
1: Yeah, I think, you know, just just your comments on that structure, on the BVI company, that in and of itself is is definitely worth, worth its weight in gold. You know, I think Westbrook have done a lot of the heavy lifting. So for South African investors who want to invest in the U.S. in order to simplify their lives, you know, having a partner like Westbrook definitely makes a lot of sense. And that's something we've seen across a number of, of, of the funds we've spoken to you guys about. So thanks for giving us some, some color on that. John, I have one more investment question to actually add in here. And, and, and that is, why should I consider an investment in these manufactured home parks when I could equally look at, for example, property developers? I mean, up in the US, they, they similarly, they develop entire communities. They kind of put in the bulks, they put in the roads and the services and, you know, potentially are playing at a higher segment of the market. I mean, yes, the returns are very compelling, but how does this compare to an established, let's call it your higher-end property developer, uh, developers as an alternative? No, that's valid. I think...
2: Development risk is something that certainly I've been a little bit afraid of historically. I've been in real estate quite a long time and and development is something quite different. I mean, to the extent you're backing someone who's very established and and knows what they're doing, maybe that risk is limited to some degree. But development is very different to what we're buying, which is an existing asset with existing cash flow. Um, Development risks, timelines can get pushed out with zoning, with uh, issues with town planning with construction delays, cost of material, and then the risk of tenanting. you got to you still then got to fill the asset with the right quality tenant. So um, I'm not saying it's bad. I'm just saying it's a different risk profile to where, where we are historically, as you said, viewed as a high-risk residential asset class. It's certainly not how I view mobile home parks. I, they, they, they're not that to me. It's established cash flow, established tenant base. Maybe some of them need work, but not to the degree of of development.
0: Yeah, I think what stands out for me out of all of this and everything we've heard on this really cool episode is just on a risk-weighted basis, those returns are really impressive. And I think that's, uh, that's really cool. You know, if you look through the risk, you're ultimately renting out land to American families. I mean, that is actually the risk here. And this is, you know, the most important capitalist economy in the world. Um, and, and and maybe that particular piece of land doesn't quite reflect, you know, the Wall Street banker lifestyle, but the point is you're in a country that has got a proper legislative system. If people don't pay, you can do something about it. You know, you're not going to have many of the issues that are facing emerging markets, and yet you are generating a return that in dollars uh, would make some emerging market returns a little bit embarrassed. So I think it's a, it's a really cool opportunity that you guys have spotted, and well done, for that. I can see why uh, Dino was keen for us to get you on the show and learn about it. So, in just wrapping up, Jonathan, if someone wants to reach out to you specifically with questions, uh, where do they find you, where should they find more information?
2: Sure. No, thanks, gents, and thanks for for having me. Um, all the information is available on Westbrook's, Westbrook's website, uh, www.westbrook.co.za, and I'm available on the on the website, my, my email address and phone number
0: should be there. Fantastic. Well, listen, thank you very much for your time. It's been incredibly awesome, and I hope the weather doesn't kill you there, although coming from South Africa, you should be well prepared for this. It's more if the electricity goes out, you'll be the hero who saves the day there, but at least you guys don't have that problem. Uh, Mo? I think that's it from, from our side for this Yeah, week. Jonathan, pleasure having you on the
1: show. I think fascinating, very interesting concept. And maybe you've just given me an excuse to come and visit you, not just down in Florida, but uh, maybe do a due diligence tour of, of some of these uh, these manufactured home parks uh, that we're looking at. I think it's fascinating. Uh, and look forward to see what you guys do in this space. So well done. And hopefully we have you back on the show at some point in time in the future.
0: Brilliant. We'll do that. Thanks, gents. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not financial or investment advice. Please speak to your personal financial advisor.